0: Audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either nine or ten thirty AM. I'm a fan of nature. Didn't know if you knew that, but I am. Um, the natural world is what I'm talking about. As a matter of fact, um, I went to I went to college in um, in Joplin, Missouri. And for me, that was like I, I was a little scared. That's like I'm going to the big city okay, to go to college, and some of you are laughing. I mean, that's really, truly the way I felt. As a matter of fact, in, in 2012, when the, when the tornado came through and wreaked havoc um, in Joplin, and I still remember, we had quite a crew from church go over there a couple days and do a lot of work. It was, it was something else. But I remember the, the media, national media, talking about Joplin, Missouri, and how this town had been affected in such a tragic and a big way, and they kept on talking about this small town in the midwest and I was like, what are they talking about it's Joplin it's the city who's got three Walmarts? Are you kidding me? I mean, goodness gracious so so when I say that I like the natural world, that means that when when I leave even like Joplin or Tulsa I mean I like and the smiles usually on my face i'm like i'm 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 getting out of town. I'm heading back to the country. I like the wildlife. I like the scenery. I even like the smell of it. I like all of it. Maybe maybe not quite all of it. I have not yet been given by anyone a good reason why God created mosquitoes and chiggers. Okay? And ticks. And ticks. I mean, I don't know the point of that. And I don't think I will remember to ask him when in heaven one day. Um, but I'm betting there. What are ticks going to do if they're not sucking your blood? Are there going to be ticks in heaven? I don't know. I don't know. So, but, but, so all of nature. And when I talk about how much I like it, and if I was to ask people that question, I mean, I think most people would probably say, "Yeah, I, I like the natural world. I do." But what about the person who's watching their house float away? You know. By floodwaters. I mean, you know, I said, hey, what do you think of nature? Or, or the person who is crowded into their little storm shelter. You know, my folks, their storm shelter is a bathtub with two motorcycle helmets. That's what they do. It's not in a basement. That is their storm shelter, okay? And, and I wonder, asking someone in that position what they think about nature, if they're going to say, oh, I love it. It's just wonderful. It's beautiful, um, and, and when I think about those moments, my mind has to go here and thinking and wondering, is nature is nature cruel sometimes? And then maybe beyond that going to even the next step is cruelty natural? Is cruelty natural? Now hold that. Th- for just a moment. As I said, we are wrapping up Hebrews chapter 4 here. And so far as we've come through Hebrews, we've seen some things. We've seen the overall theme of Hebrews is this. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than everything. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. And because of that, our author tells us, pay attention to him. Pay better attention to him. And, and there's also, as we see through the letter written to the Hebrews, there's some warning there. I mean, some try to scale it back a little bit because it almost looks kind of threatening at times. It's like, oh, it's just admonition, okay? <laughs> All right, well, admonition is warning, is threatening, All right. But it's interesting, when he does something like that, he usually follows it with encouraging words for his audience, and then we, we, we were brought into this topic, and we're going to dive into this a bunch next week, so we're not going to spend a tremendous amount of time in it, but Jesus as the great high priest. We'll talk about that even a little bit today. And then last week, we looked at the rest that God has for his people. And that's kind of where we wrapped everything up last week, God's rest. Now, with that in mind... Let's look to verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 4. I'll be reading. out have a New American Standard. If you got your Bible, it's going to be pretty close to the end, all right? If you got it on your phone, pull your phone out. Look at it. Get your eyes on it, though. Verse 11 of Hebrews 4 says this. Therefore, and as I've told you, we need to look back to what comes before a therefore, and it's God's rest. He says, therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. And the stage is set right there. And what we looked at last week and that verse, guys, is this. God, I read this a number of times this week in studying for this message. God is not to be trifled with. He is God. Understand that. And he is not to be trifled with. Keep that in mind as we look through these next couple of verses. You know, at our house, there is a very popular item. and It's so popular that you've heard me talk about it before. It's popcorn. It's an extremely popular house. Now, I'm going to give you a warning. I think somehow that the, that the high schoolers that are usually here on the front row, did you hear anything about the first service? Because you guys are kind of moved back just a little bit. Because when I start talking about popcorn and what I talk about next, I... I start drooling, and then I start spitting. Okay, so I, I've got here some young ladies I know very well, and a couple of fellas. I know uh, Al, Robbie, wore your safety goggles. That's good. Okay, that's good. All right, I apologize up front. You high schoolers, you're smart. You're smart. I don't know how you knew that, but you're smart. See, at our house, popcorn isn't just Popcorn. Matter of fact, if, if our girls go somewhere else and eat popcorn and somebody just sets a bowl of popcorn in front of them, maybe with a little butter and a little salt, they just look at it like, that's not popcorn, okay? Because it's not popcorn until you put shredded cheese on top of it, and then you got some popcorn, okay? And I'm not talking about the cheese that you buy at the store that's already shredded. That's not cheese, that's not shredded cheese. No, it is shredded cheese, I tell you about it. But it's like all dried out, you know, and stuff. I'm talking about you take a block of extra sharp cheddar and you shred that sucker, all right? And it's moist. You put it on piping hot popcorn. Man, it's good. Melvin, I spit on you yet? I hope not. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. All right. So what had me thinking about Cheese popcorn, and so wonderful how it is, so good, everybody likes it. I wonder what the cheese thinks about it. I really, truly do. I mean, I watched a Cosby Show episode many, many years ago where Heathcliff Huxtable eats some pepperoni pizza a little bit too late before he goes to bed, and he opens up, he's dreaming, and he opens up the refrigerator, and all the food's talking to him, telling him why it, that he should not eat it, Okay. And, and so think about this for a moment. Shredded cheese is a wonderful thing for all of us, but what does the cheese think? What really does the cheese think of shredded cheese? With that in mind, look at verse 12. It says this, for the word of God is living and active. I think... We've probably read this before. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now, we have heard that verse so many times that I don't know how much we dig into that verse and see what it is saying. Look at these words. Sharp. Piercing. Judgmental. Do you like those words? Are those fun words? Right, now I, I'm, I'm cherry picking. I'm sorry. So so let's not cherry pick for a moment, and let's look. We got an incredible description of God's word here. So let's look at the entire description. God's word, and these are the words, descriptive words used of God's word by our author: living, active, razor sharp, piercing. In a way of which it can penetrate and divide, and it can judge the inmost parts of my hidden world. How much of that description brings you comfort personally? God's word, historically speaking, is bigger than this. Okay, God brought this world through into creation into into. Order. He brought it about through his son and by his word. Jesus Christ is even called the word of God. So historically speaking, God's word is a really big thing. But guys, when it comes to God's word and us today, this is the number one way, the biggest way, the primary source of God's communication with his people today. And I hope... That all of us, I'm sorry, I didn't, I should have. You might wish, before we dig into this verse anymore, that you had worn steel toes. Steel toe boots today, all right? Because this is stepping all over me. I'm convinced that when people say they do not want to study God's word, they are either just plain lazy, or they don't want to understand it. Now, I've heard it before, and you've heard it before. Maybe you've even said it before. Maybe I've said it before. I just have such a hard time understanding. I can't can't, can't read it because I can't understand it. Typically, the excuse of a person who doesn't want his or her life meddled with by a book that can turn his or her life upside down. Therefore, I'll just keep it closed. Because... This word is powerful and of the reader, it demands, it does not ask, it demands change. And if we are brave enough to study it, really, really dig deep in it, it will shred us before God. It will tear us to pieces. You see, God works best with pieces. And his word will shred us, and he will put us back together again. And folks, this is not a one-time experience. It's not like, well, when did God shred you? Well, he shredded me in 1984. No, God has a way of shredding people through his word, sometimes on a weekly basis. Like, what what did that just say? What do I have to stop doing? Or probably even, what do I got to start doing? There's a game that's been around for a little while. It's not hide-and-seek. For some reason, hide-and-seek wasn't good enough, all right? Because there's always people who have never been good at hide-and-seek. And And I'm convinced that the person who came up with this game was horrible at hide-and-seek, okay? Because this game is completely different. It's called Sardines, all right? Instead of one person being it and looking for everyone that are hiding... um, You've got, you've got, okay, make sure I got this right. You've got one person hiding and everyone looking for them, right? And when you find them, you don't say, hey, I found him." is it? No, you hide with them. And the game continues until it's completely flip-flopped, and you've got everybody hiding in one spot, and one person, the last person, who's not good at sardines, Still looking. And you know, it's, it, when you play a game like that, it is fun to be found. You want to be found. And you know, it's too bad that life isn't like that. It's not like sardines because so many of us in life are desperately trying to hide what we don't want to be found. And we think that much of our hidden world is hidden from everyone, and we want, we're going to keep it hidden. It's going to remain hidden. And if you feel that way and you are thinking that's the truth, I'm sorry. It's just not reality. Let's look at this next verse. We just heard about God's word and how it can tear us to pieces, and now we follow that with this. There is no creature hidden from God, his God's sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. All right, now I know that that's, that really, I mean, that really ends weird there. So we're going to dive in that here in just a moment. We're going to, we're going to do some word studies here. We're going to look at some words here for a moment. All right. the first word we're going to look at, I'm reading on the New American Standard, as I said, and it, the first word I see here is that jumps off the page at me is this: "is open." It says, no, "No creature's hidden from His sight, but all things are open." Now, when you look that word up in the Greek, it has a root form that is very clear, and it is this: it is naked, exposed. All things are exposed before God. And then it follows that with this, laid bare. Laid bare. What, what is that getting at? You know, what, you know what those words in the Greek mean? Seized by the throat. It is a very aggressive, violent word. All things are naked before God and seized by his sight. He sees it all. And then it follows it with this they are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, I have in my office a, a New American Standard Exhaustive Concordance. And what that means is every single word in this Bible is listed in that book. And let me tell you, it's like a big book, okay? It's, it's not only thick, but it's, it's big, right? I mean, somebody came in my office and we're and we're going to hurt me, that's like number one right there, is they're going to get hit in the head with a new American standard, concordance, okay? All right, so this thing, and the only words that you're not going to find in there are just definite articles, like A and the and this, stuff like that. Anything else it's in there, matter of fact, do is in there. I'm not talking about doing the do, I'm not talking about mountain do, am talking about D-O, do, all right? And the vast majority of the time, this is the way uh, an exhaustive concordance works, a little bit of a lesson in, in interpretation for you, all right? What you have to the side when you look up a word is a number that corresponds, a concordance is an index, but at the back of that Bible index, you have another index of Hebrew and Greek words. And that little number at the end will tell you where to go in that Greek index to tell you the root meaning of that word in Greek. Now, the vast majority of the time, the number on all, I mean, there are page after page after page. Think how many do's there are in your Bible, all right? And the vast majority of the time, it uses the same Greek word that means this in the Greek. Believe it or not, do. All right, do work. Do your painting. Do your homework. Do your homework. Do your homework. Now, you won't find that in the Greek, but you hear that a lot at our house, isn't that right? Do your homework. It's summertime now. I don't even, like the girls just went to shock. Okay, okay. Um, but when you're looking in there, you leave the do, normal one, for this word. It's the only time in all of those pages I saw a different number used for this word. And I went back there and thought, that's kind of different. And guess what the Greek root was? Speech. Speech. Like, what is that getting at? That's what, this is what that's getting at. Listen closely. Basically, it's saying this. The one we must stand before one day and give a speech on why we lived the way we have lived already knows and sees everything about us. Even the things we've tried so hard to keep hidden from everybody. You will stand before God and give a defense as to your actions in this life. You realize that? Every one of us will. And that God knows everything about you before you open your mouth. How difficult is it to trust someone who knows everything about us? You're like, well, my spouse knows everything about me. Really? Everything? Most I mean, just think about the fun that could be had on Facebook if somebody knew everything about you, all right? How difficult is it to trust someone who knows everything about us and someone who is fully aware that we have betrayed him? Understand, it wasn't just Peter who betrayed Christ. It wasn't just Peter's sin that put Christ on that cross. David Hershey reads it almost every time he gets on this stage for communion meditation. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And a few verses later, it says this. We as sinners were the enemies of God. And while we were his enemies, he died for us. Yes, it was your sin and my sin that put him on that cross. So, you got this person that we're supposed to trust who knows everything about us, someone who's fully aware that we betrayed him, and someone who is not only omniscient, which means, yes, he knows everything, but who is also omnipotent, who has all power. How easy is it to trust him? Thank God, literally, for the rest of chapter four. You know something? There is nothing natural about the gospel. Nothing. I don't know if you caught it when we, were, when we were doing the, in communion meditation today and getting our mind focused for taking communion. And I mentioned something. I mentioned about the absurdity of the gospel. I didn't come up with that on my own. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians chapter one when he says the word of the cross is, Is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. The gospel is absurd that God, the creator of everything, would die for his creation because he loves them so much. If it wasn't true, there's no way it could ever be believed. There's nothing natural about the gospel. Look at verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. And by saying hold fast to our confession, it's this, it's our confession of him as the Lord of our life. We're not talking about a confession of sin, we're talking about a confession of him as Lord. And he says, He says, We have confidence because of him, because of who he is. And because of that, hold fast to that confession. We can't go to God. We sang the last song today about that. We cannot go to God. So God came to us. And he went back home when his job here was done. Look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet is without sin. Now, I'm not going to talk a lot about this high priest thing, guys, because we're going to look at it a lot next week in chapter, or next week in chapter 5. But a high priest, very simply put, is an advocate between God and his people. One that stands between God and... And his people and our advocate is God himself, the son, who stands between God, the father, and us. An advocate who can truly understand our struggle with sin. And an and advocate who overcame temptation and earned the right, as funny as it sounds, Earned the right to sit at the right hand of God. An advocate who took our failures, our sins upon his shoulders. That's the advocate we have in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy. And find grace to help in time of need. You know what we need in a time of need? I'm using that word a lot here, but I'm going to say it again. Do you know what we need in a time of need? Real need. We need someone we can trust. And in Christ, we have that advocate. He's given everything for us, and he asks for something in return. And what he asks for in return is we are called to live unnaturally. Natural living. What is the best definition of natural living? If you were going to take natural living and put an equal sign beside it, okay? It's not about getting off the grid and and just living as a hermit in the middle of nowhere. That's not natural living. Natural living is this. Natural living is self-preservation. That's the way nature works. That's the way it is in a chicken coop. Alright. I'm serious. I know you love those birds, hon, but one of them gets hurt and man they're on it like like a great white tiger or great white tigers. I think I meant to say great white sharks, but like cats and sharks came into my mind at the same time, and this weird shark cat just popped out. That's how vicious chickens are when they are attacking a hurt chicken. Alright? You understand? That is the natural world. It's self-preservation, it's looking out for number one. That's the way it works in this world. Don't you understand? There's nothing natural about cutting into the back of the line, folks. I mean, have you ever had somebody try to cut into the back of the line? It's like, I know you're last and you're always supposed to be last, but I'm cutting behind you so you're not last. Say, what? So what did Jesus say to his followers about lines? He said, the first will be last in my kingdom. And the last will be first. Everything about living for Jesus is unnatural. Willingly yielding the throne to him. I very much appreciate the way J.B. put this many years ago, and I've heard him put it many, many times this way since. And it's this: when you came to the Lord for salvation, if salvation was all you were seeking, then you did not get the full package because Jesus is not here offering just to save you. He's here to be your Lord. And if you look up back upon your salvation experience, if you will, and it has nothing to do with Jesus becoming the Lord of your life, or since then it's never entered your mind, then we got to sit and talk for a while. Because Jesus' people willingly yield the throne of their life control to him. And it's not natural Oh, I just butchered this name in the first service. I'm going to try to do it a little better here. Tell me if you've heard of this name before. If you have, never mind. Keep quiet. You don't want to, I want you to run the surprise. Judson W Van Deventer. Can you imagine being a first grade Learning to write that name? And you're like, well, you learn that in kindergarten. Not when you're Judson. You don't learn it until you're in first grade, all right? And you're lucky if you get it done. This poor kid learned how to write this? It's no wonder he was brilliant, all right? A little bit about, about Judson, all right? He lived, he lived in the late 1800s to the early 1900s. And even though you might not know that name, you probably know a little about him, whether you know it or not. He struggled with something in the middle part of his life, and that struggle had to, to do with this. He was a very, very talented man, and he was pulled in two different directions. He could take that talent, and he could develop that talent in a secular way. And what I mean by that, in a non God way. In other words, vocationally speaking, he could take his talent and just run with it and make probably a pretty good living. Little hint for you he was a musician, a very talented musician. And he felt pulled in this direction, but yet, he also felt pulled in this direction of using his talent and ability 100% for God. Did you know in the, I didn't even know this, in the late 1800s they had music ministers. I had no idea. And he felt called to a ministry of evangelism. And music. And he felt this pull. This tug of war. For a number of years. And he finally. Finally put his foot down. And said God if this is what you want for me. From me. That's the direction I'll go. And he went full force. Into ministry. You know what the result of that decision was? His. His several years struggle, this decision of being pulled in two different directions. His decision to follow God's leading. And do you know, he put pen to paper and he went to a piano and he hammered out the notes to the song, I surrender all. I wonder what would have Happened to I surrender all if Judson had never went down that road. I'd be willing to bet there's one or two people in here who walked down the aisle sometime in their past and decided to turn everything over to the Lord and ended up getting wet after a service in a baptistry because of a message that was preached and a song that was sung, I surrender all. One of my good friends, Chuck Atkinson, said it took all four verses to get him down. (laughs) All four verses. See, that's what our advocate asks from us all he says i don't want a part of you i don't want a piece of you i want it all i gave i gave it all for you i want it all i want the part of your life that you think's hidden but it's not i see it clear as day I want the part of life that you're desperately holding on to because you feel like that's at least one little piece of life I still got some control over. You really don't. I want it too. I want your marriage. I want your job. I want your kids. I want your livelihood. I want it all. It is the most unnatural decision any person can ever make to yield everything to God. It is those people alone who truly know what it is to follow in the footsteps of their Savior. Those willing to surrender all.